Hello, and welcome back to the Ireland Football Fans Podcast. I'm Joseph McCarthy of the Irish Abroad website, and I'm joined again by Mark Kennedy of Hawkeye Sidekick to discuss some of the recent events uh, in or around the Irish national team. Uh, how are you doing? All good. Looking forward to this episode anyway. A lot to talk you know. about. A lot has happened in, uh, since our last episode. So uh, uh, let's start with the, the highlight of recent times the qualification of the women's team for the 2023 FIFA Women's World Cup to be held next summer in uh, Australia and New Zealand. This was achieved last Tuesday night in a 1-0 playoff win against Scotland in Hamden. And uh, it was, you know, an absolutely fantastic achievement by the team, by the management. Going to their first World Cup, you know, comparisons have already been drawn with Italian 90 and what qualification for the World Cup in Italy that summer did, not just for the team, but for the country. Can't wait to watch the, the games out there next year. Mark, what did you think of the game and uh, what did you think of the qualification? Well, I suppose, look, any side that gets to a World Cup, it's the pinnacle for these players, the management team, Vera Pell. I think it's an unbelievable achievement. Given where they were, you know, a few years ago, you know, it has been well documented in terms of their fight for even basic facilities, training, uh, equipment, tracksuits. We've come a long way here, Joe, for this uh, women's senior side. And it was a, a tough group. Let's be brutally honest about it here, Joe. When you have uh, teams of the calibre of Sweden, Finland, who would be really up there as a very competitive force, Slovakia, who are always going to be very physical, very aggressive. And for us to come out of that group in second place, and the momentum we built, particularly at the back end of last year, particularly that that finish result, that 2-1 win in Helsinki was huge. It gave the side, it gave management, it gave everyone a massive confidence boost. And they never really looked back, genuinely. I suppose, in, t- in terms of the game, answering your question, I mean, Scotland had come into this game on the back of that 1-0 win against Austria. And... Joe, we'd watched the Euros in the summer, and that Austrian side really did impress me against England, particularly in that group, and ran Germany very close. So for Scotland to beat Austria in the manner they did, you know, their calibre, their stock value rose significantly. And I mean, the playoff itself, it was a your classic playoff. It ebbed and flowed. Scotland will probably rue that penalty miss in the opening half. But my God, Courtney Brosnan, I, I think I heard it was a Stephanie Roach, mentioning that, you know, Courtney Brosnan has been our player of the campaign. I mean, it was a superb save from Courtney. And, I mean, it really did buoy the team up significantly. And what a goal to kind of finish uh, this uh, tie off. I mean, we kind of say about, you know, quality players. Denise O'Sullivan is that an absolute diamond in our midfield. And what a pass to Amber Barrett. And considering the week last week, and this week in Donegal, I thought it was very fitting that Amber Barrett was the player to basically score that goal. I thought it was a phenomenal first touch, and the finish was instinctively brilliant. And in fairness to Ireland, uh, Joe, I think, correct me if I'm wrong, but defensively, we weren't really posed a threat, really. Granted, Scotland had crosses, but I never felt at any given point here that Scotland were really going to break us down. I think everything from the Republic of Ireland's standpoint, you know, was on par, particularly in that second-half performance. 
a lot of people have been saying that the team play a very defensive brand of football, but the fact of the matter is that we have very good defenders in that team. You know, Louise Quinn played all across Europe, wins absolutely everything in the air. Nia Fahey, experienced defender, played for Chelsea, captaining Liverpool, captaining them to the the championship title in England last season and playing in the Women's Super League this season. We have really good defenders. I mean, you play to your strengths in this game. If we have to play defensive football, then we have to play defensive football. We've got Katie McCabe and Denise O'Sullivan in midfield who are capable of creating something out of absolutely nothing. And Amber Barrett, when she came on, she had told the manager that she was going to score, and she did. We should also give a mention to Heather Payne, who ran absolutely tirelessly uh, throughout the, the first half and the second half before she made way for Barrett. Proud that Loney Farrow up front, but gave Scotland a lot to think about. I know that Scotland had the majority of the possession, but you expect that from the side playing at home. You know that they're going to have more of the ball than you are. You're going to have to work hard while they're in possession. And you're going to have to make the best of the chances that are presented to you when you have the ball, which is exactly what we did. Other than the penalty, I didn't think they had any great chance to score. I've criticised Courtney Brosnan in the past, and we wondered... And, you know, if there were better options available to the manager. But I have to say, she was absolutely outstanding on the night. The penalty save, I don't think that was an accident either. I don't think that no. she just, I don't think she guessed the side. I think she knew exactly where that ball was going from the research that had been done in the build-up to the game. And, you know, and against a player of the quality of Weir, you know, there's no margin for error. But she made that save look absolutely simple and a, an absolute textbook save from penalty, pushing it away from the goal, don't give him any chance from the follow-up. And uh, she bookended her performance with the the save at the beginning of the, or early in the first half, and at the end of the second half, uh, one of the great examples of shithousery in modern (laughs) international football, where instead of taking a free kick, when she knew it was a free kick, she took a kick out and was ordered to actually take the ball back and put it down and take a free It's the kind of thing that when a player on your team does it, you love to see it. But I'd say the Scotland players and fans were spitting feathers after it. Totally. Uh, But uh, good games and shit there. But I suppose going back to the players here. um, Now, we haven't talked about Vera Powell. We've talked about her in a few minutes. But I'm delighted for so many of these, you know, ladies that have literally the caps, you know, 112 caps for Anya Gorman. Playing with Piedmont United. And let's remember, Joe, in the Scottish game, due, due to injuries, Anya Gorman played a more advanced role uh, on um, Wednesday night. It was really impressive um, performance from her. Maybe unlucky with the header from Katie McCabe's cross in the opening period. And also that sharp turn and shot was very lively. Had posed serious threats along with Heather Payne, particularly. As you said, Heather Payne really ran her ran up every blade of grass, uh, to be honest. But also, I'd like to Diane Caldwell. We mentioned Louise Quinn. I thought Diane Caldwell. She's an iconic defender for me. Um, I was alive for her last season when she signed for the Manchester United ladies team. And to be fair, never put her foot wrong for the Manchester United ladies. And any time I've seen Diane Caldwell play, absolutely phenomenal player. So commanding. The organisation, particularly that 10-15 minutes, along with the likes of Nifahi, Louise Quinn... Also, Jamie Finn as well, I thought was absolutely exceptional in the full-back slot. Nothing soft was coming from the flanks here from a Scotland perspective. Cobbert being their key player here, um, 
Joe was really kind of nullified, I thought. Maybe had a, a bright kind of five, ten minutes into the second half. Apart from that, her influence waned significantly. So I think an awful lot of compliments here to the management, but also the players on duty. Because do remember here, Joe, we had a few injuries to contend with uh, during this fixture as well. So I think the pleasing aspect is how the players who were on the fringes coming in, doing a job for the team, and the result really is a playoff game. I think we knew at halftime what the scenario was, given Switzerland's win against Wales, Portugal winning against Iceland, that we just needed a result against Scotland, and we got it. And well done to everyone concerned. They're on a fantastic unbeaten run now. That loss against Sweden right at the beginning of the qualifiers was their only loss across the qualifying campaign. They went unbeaten for the remaining seven games in the qualifiers, obviously now having beaten uh, Scotland in the playoffs as well, reached uh, a record high in the FIFA rankings, currently ranked 24th in the world. And you know we're looking forward now to the draw that's going to be held in, in a very short time. Uh, it'll be next Saturday week, the 27th of October. Uh, looking down through the, the pots here, Mark, ordered by their FIFA ranking, except for the two hosts, uh, New Zealand and Australia, who are going to go in at number one and number two in, in pot A. You kind of wonder who you'd hope to see the Ireland team draw. Uh, I think from pot A, I don't want to play Sweden again, having already played them. don't want to take on the European champions, England, or the world champions, the USA. We played Australia in a friendly not too long ago in Tata Stadium. So I would like to see us play the New Zealand team. I know they'll be at home. I know you know to have the home crowd behind them. But you know they're, they're ranked 22nd in the world. We're 24th. So I don't think there's too much between the two teams. Looking down then into Pot B, we want to avoid the Netherlands, uh, one of the strongest teams in Europe and one of the best players in the world right now in Mia Dima, uh, a teammate of Katie McCabe's at Arsenal. The teams that are in pot C with ourselves, the ones we've avoided, glad we're not going to be facing Argentina, glad we're not drawing Denmark because I'm just sick of playing Denmark at international football. And finally down in pot D, you're not really sure who you want to face there. Your first reaction is I'd like to see one of the playoff winners from this second round of intercontinental playoffs, but that could see us play Portugal. So Maybe Morocco or Zambia would be a, a team worth playing there. Um, but look, it's going to be great excitement playing at a World Cup next summer. Maybe the only downside is because of where it's on in the world, the times that the games will be on here might be, make for great public viewing. But I'm, I'm really looking forward to it now. Yeah, likewise, Joe. I think we have to embrace the draw on Saturday week. I think it's a, you have to be in the big dance and the side are in the big dance now, and I mean, they're in the elite. There's 32 nations here, rather with three nations now waiting to go through an arduous playoff down in New Zealand and Australia. Correct me if I'm wrong here, uh, Joe. I think we should expect maybe Portugal to be one of those playoff winners, because they did hugely impress me in the European Championships during the summer. That could be a sleeper and pop D that I would like to avoid, but um, I'll be with you here, Joe. It be, might be advantageous getting in New Zealand. Now, we have faced Australia before. I'm just thinking of Australia, Kerr, the striker from Chelsea, phenomenal talent. They did pose the Republic of Ireland an awful lot of questions in that talent friendly. So, but again, there's nothing going to be soft here, particularly the likes of the States, Sweden, Germany. 
I suppose Spain are the team here potentially could be in turmoil a little bit, given that six or seven of their squad have walked away from the side due to the head coach. Is there a little bit of a Saipan episode happening there in the Spanish ladies football senior team? If that is the case, then might be a bad opportunity to play Spain as well, where there's disharmony in the camp. I suppose Group B, like Canada, have always been perennially very strong. If I'm looking at anyone, probably Italy, China, South Korea, potentially. But what you're going to get from China and South Korea are very good technical players. So you're going to get absolutely nothing softer. And I would be with you on Potti. Maybe one of the African teams like South Africa, maybe Morocco or Zambia here would be quite nice. But Portugal we have to avoid because I think Portugal could be a real dark horse here. They're building a very nice side. And again, pretty unfortunate, I think, not to get through in their group. Look, isn't it great to be talking even about a World Cup draw? And, you know, July will come come very quickly, uh, Joe, after this. So I think Vera Powell's uh, team uh, will know what to expect. And I'd be looking forward to seeing what friendly games are going to be lined up for the team yeah. as well, leading into that as well. So there could be some outstanding fixtures coming to the Tala Stadium, or even the Avila Stadium for that matter, Joe. Because I think yeah. the nation have to get behind this team now. They've gone to provide they've provided us an awful lot of enjoyment here in the last eighteen to twenty four months. So I think it's only right for every person that's into football in this country to really support the the, the women's team wholeheartedly now. Yeah, there's been talk already this week that we'll probably see one or two games in Tata Stadium, but the final game, um, the send off game should be held in, in Aviva Stadium and cut the ticket prices, make sure that everyone who wants to give the team a big send-off is able to give the team a big send-off. Playing in front of 50,000 people in the National Stadium, it would give them such a massive boost before they go to the World Cup next summer. You think that Australia and New Zealand is one of these places where there's a massive Irish diaspora when you, we see whenever the rugby team uh, go on tour there or the International Rules Series is held in Australia, the support they get from you know the Irish expats and second generation uh, people who maybe never even set foot in in Ireland, but you know have grown up with Irish parents and are resolutely Irish themselves. I mean, you have to imagine that Ireland are going to be one of the best supported teams out there. Oh, I completely yeah. agree, Joel. Even with the diaspora, and I think hopefully. This team captures the, the the nation's hearts, really. I think they deserve it, given the lack of success within senior football internationally for this for this country. I think it's imperative for fans, if they can, to travel over to New Zealand, Australia, but say yourself, like to Melbourne, you know, Wellington, anywhere in Australia, the side will be well represented, well supported. There'll be no qualms on that. So. But let's see who we get. You know, it's going to be very exciting times here for everyone. And I suppose for Vera Poe, you know, it's just capped an amazing campaign. The, the job that she has done here um, has been outstanding. You, you look back to that Ukrainian game in the Euros, Joe, an awful lot of teams would have just literally died in terms of their ambitions, their aspirations. That would have been a hammered blow to anyone. But the resilience, the determination, starting from the manager, Vera Poe, has really and the players has just been absolutely phenomenal. Really is a lesson for any team, really, to overcome adversity that anything is possible. So, look, I'm incredibly proud of this team, incredibly proud of what they've done in terms of the qualification campaign, and look, wish them all the best. We do, and 
you know, we look forward to discussing the draw after it's made on the 22nd. Speaking of draws, the draw for UEFA Euro 2024 in Germany was held for the men's team last week. And it was, it, I don't think it could have gone worse for the Ireland team, for Stephen Kenny's players. Um, drawing uh, Netherlands from pot one, France from pot two, Greece from pot four and Gibraltar from pot five. Before the draw was made, people were talking about, you know, dream draws and nightmare draws. I don't think it really mattered who came out of the first pot. It was always going to be tough, but the Dutch are, they're a power in world football. Some of the best players in the world, you know, a team that we've played 20 times and only managed seven wins competitively. We've played them 11 times and won twice. The memorable win in, in 2001 on the road to Japan and South Korea. The playoff in uh, 1995 at Anfield, some huge games uh, against the Dutch, and we've only managed to beat them competitively twice. Looking down through the teams in the second pot, France and England were the two teams that we wanted to avoid, and we drew the French. Uh, You know, the top-ranked scene in pot two, some of the best players in the world, in Mbappe, a striker who just seems to score at will, just class all across the pitch. Another team that will be going to the World Cup in November with aspirations of coming home with the trophy. You know, we have a similar record to the Dutch against the, the French sides. We've played them 17 times and won four. And if you want to look at it from a competitive point of view, we've played them 13 times and won three. So whatever about the current players, the current squads representing France and the Netherlands, history is very much against us. We've never played Greece uh, in a competitive international, we have faced them three times. We've drawn once and lost twice. You know, there's another monkey that we have to get off our back. We have to get rid of that, you know, duck egg in the win column against the Greeks. Maybe it'll come in the home game next October, but the fixture computer decided in its infinite wisdom that we would play the Greeks in Greece in June at the, you know, at the height of the summer. Um, which uh, would bring back memories of Steve Staunton's baseball cap uh, in Florida. And finally, Gibraltar, who we've played four times and beaten four times. Mark, it couldn't have gone worse. I genuinely don't think it could have gone worse. Yeah. Do you all take a few deep breaths there? I can feel your desperation there. I suppose the only positive I can really kind of put here is that at least we kind of know what to expect. We won't be going into any of these games, really. Jesus, uh, even for Gibraltar, you know. We have to treat everyone with huge amount of respect. Um, the only thing I would say, Netherlands and France in Qatar in December, there will be a turnover of players. Uh, the, the cycle will be reset again. So from a Netherlands perspective, Louis van Gaal departs and Ronald Koeman gets another crack at the Netherlands national job. I'm just looking at the age profile of Netherlands here. There's a few guys here kind of nearing kind of the end of... Uh, international careers now you could say Pazvir is probably a late bloomer here at 38 with Ajax but you do have some outfield players here like said Virgil van Dijk 31 uh, Danny Blind 32 De Roon 31 Feghorst 30 so guys like that may have to decide whether they're going to commit here so there might be a little bit of a kind of turnover of players here similarly with France as well when you consider some of the talent up there like said Hugo Lloris Likes of Giroud at 36, 
you know, so there's going to be guys there to turn over. Now, from an Ireland perspective, I think this has been the end result of Nations League underperformance here, Joe, quite simply. I think we're overdue a very tough draw given those underwhelming Nations League performances. We can pick positives, we can pick negatives, but the fact of the matter is here, this is the true barometer of Stephen Kenny, and look, it's not going to be any easy when you consider a Greek side that's resurgent under Gus Poyet. We've seen them up close and personal, particularly with Greece, uh, with Northern Ireland. They beat Northern Ireland uh, home and away. Beat Northern Ireland 1-0 at Windsor Park, pretty convincingly. And then also in Athens, uh, in the last round of Nations League games, uh, they won convincingly 3-1 after being behind 1-0 due to Kyle Lefty's goal early. They regrouped very well. So, I mean, from the seeding perspective, Greece will be looking at Ireland as, I hate to say this, a little bit of a soft touch, a vulnerable third seed here. So, I think, as you say, we have to be on the money here. We have to learn from our mistakes, from particularly the Nations League, where we've allowed teams back into games with very sloppy defensive lapses. Our first game at home to France, probably not a bad time to actually face them straight after a World Cup. Maybe Deschamps. There's a managerial change there. So who knows? If we can get a result, even a draw against France, particularly in Dublin, it will set us up. Again, the Greece game, we don't know whether this is going to be in Athens or in Volos, which is north, I think, about 300 kilometres north of uh, Athens. So it's in June as well, uh, uh, which won't be great in terms of temperatures here. But again, let's see how it goes. We have to focus on ourselves here, Joe. Focus on the performance Focus on, you know, our formation, getting ourselves right defensively. And also, we've shown at times our final third threat, particularly with Obafemi, Parrish, Obene. We could have other players coming into form. So, look, it's a tough draw. But there's only one way that we can do here, and it's actually fight, fight for games here. Look, let's see how it goes. What do you think would be an acceptable result for Stephen Kenny in this group? It's going to be tough. If the pressure is basically already on him, I genuinely think the best we can hope for here is third. But do you think finishing fourth could cost him his job? Quite possibly, I think, Joe. Um, he's been given sufficient time now to really run the rule over the squad, what he has. We do have underage talent coming through the under-21s as well. I'd be expecting the likes of Connor Coventry, Will Smallbone, guys of that stature to be coming into that midfield area particularly. Again, look at the fixture list. They're at home to France. You know, if we catch France on a good night here, quite possibly could get a draw. Now, the two key games I can see right now are Greece away and then their Brawlter game on the 19th of June on round three is a key one. That could potentially be save our job again from a Stephen Kenny perspective. Again, we have that September 7th and 10th where it's France away Netherlands at home, they're very daunting. Again, I would say, objective-wise, be competitive. Finish third at least, at very minimum. And maybe one of the other teams, France and Netherlands, have a very indifferent campaign. We're kind of hoping for other teams to step up here, I would think, just given on form, given on the current squad capabilities. So, yeah, I think if he finishes fourth here, uh, Joe, it's really kind of signaling the end for Stephen Kenny, unfortunately. Yeah, I'd have to agree with you. You know, before the... Nations League campaign kicked off. I think he met a rod for his own back by saying that he was or he was going into the campaign with the ambition of winning the group and then lost the opening two games. I don't think he's going to say that ahead of uh, this group, which kicks off in March. 
I think his ambition has to be to obviously look, take six points against Gibraltar. I think a minimum of four points against Greece because if we lose to them, we're probably going to either game to them, we're probably going to finish behind them, and then whatever we can get against the Netherlands and France, it's going to be really tough. It's I think one of the toughest groups ever. I think. You know, the last time we faced two teams of this caliber in a qualifying campaign was probably the 2002 World Cup. Indeed. You know, yeah, Portugal and, and the Netherlands again. Um, but it brought the best out of the players. Yeah, that's the only thing, Joe, I would think. You know, against France and the Netherlands, historically, Republic of Ireland have really kind of acquitted themselves well against the French and the, and the Dutch as well. So... Like, we've kind of shown in spades, well, in patches here, particularly against Serbia at home, Portugal at home, Portugal away in the previous uh, qualification campaigns that we are capable of performing above to our level because then we have problems then trying to break down the Gibraltars of this, you know, stature and maybe kind of Greece to that effect. So, look, if we're defensively compact against France, you know, there may be a chance there, particularly in the 27th. We're going to have to take points off either France or the Netherlands. I know that's a lofty ambition right now, but why can't it not be the 27th of March 2023 in the Viva Stadium? I think, you know, the team has to kind of get on the right footing here. Under Stephen Kenny, the starting rounds of the Nations League and also the qualification campaign for the World Cup have been abysmal. We can't do that again. If that is the trend here, Joe, he's done. So I think from that perspective, let's get a packed house in for the Viva, France in town, and really see what France are about. And let's kind of give a good account of ourselves and then set ourselves up for that Greece game. Because I have watched Greece, particularly in those Northern Ireland games, and they do give you chances. They are a lovely football side, particularly with Gus Poyet. It's very much high-tempo getting out the flanks, putting crosses in, whereas before Greece were very technical, really going down through the middle. So they will give Republic of Ireland chances, particularly in wherever that game is, in Athens or Volos, because the, the home crowd will demand that they're on the front foot. So not a friend's possibility here. Can we get five points here, at least, from those f- first three games? You know, that should be, I think, you know, we have to be ambitious here. <laughs> Maybe I'm kind of bordering and ludicrous here, but... Again, I would hope we have a convincing performance against Gibraltar in the Aviva. The Greece game, quite possibly should be able to win that, given the temperature stuff at the end of season. And you don't know from a Greece personnel perspective end of season uh, what's happening there. So if we can get maybe six points, five, six points out of those first three games, I think it does set us up well for September. Now, again, the Dutch. Again, we're just having to gauge after the World Cup here as well, Joe. France and Netherlands are going to turn over players here. Very marquee players are going to retire. So then it's a case of, is there a transitional period for France and Netherlands? That's our only hope here, I would think, here, Joe. Otherwise, I think we're going to be kind of in a little bit spot of bother, I think, if our performance levels aren't up to it. Yeah. We could be hoping for a Croatia-style hangover from the World Cup when Absolutely. we face France after the World Cup. The first game in the group, which will be their first international uh, after the tournament in Qatar, will be the Dutch at home, followed by facing us in Dublin. So there's a possibility that, you know, if the tournament in Qatar does go very well and the players come back exhausted, that their performance in the two games 
might not be up to their usual standards. We'll wait and see there. Um, I think next September is going to be really tough. It's a double header of France away in Paris, followed by the Dutch at home uh, three days later. That's a horrible set of fixtures. And, you know, and then it's followed up then by Greece at home and Gibraltar away. But those two games in September could end whatever hope we have at that time of automatic qualification for the tournament in Germany. Stephen Kenny and the coaching staff there. And I sincerely hope, Joe, that there's another coach on the lineup in the ticket by the time March comes around because I think the coaching setup has been exposed, particularly with the departure of John Hesus and also Anthony Barry to that certain extent. So, yeah, I think we're going to have to rotate the squad, particularly in those September internationals. It's a daunting fixture list, so it's really imperative that first three games that we're hitting the ground running here, that we're getting points in the board early because they're going to be our iffy fixtures, I would say. And, you know... The Dutch, you know, they're probably thinking of 2002 in terms of particularly uh, Lansdowne Road, you know, when they got turned over and they were eliminated from Japan's South Korean World Cup. It's been their lowest point in international football. So nothing's going to be given to us here. I think we have to really produce high-level performances. We've seen patches of it here, Joe. But again, is there a bit of a fragile vulnerability about us at times? particularly with giving away so many sloppy goals, particularly from outside the area, that is having to have to be addressed immediately. I would hope anyway with the friendly games that are coming up that we can rectify that heading into that French game in good confidence. But uh, September is iffy. But do you feel there's any credence here to Stephen Kenny's critique as well? You know, the fact that Republic of Ireland are not going to be playing in the actual final round of games here, that we're going to be completely concluded here in the second last match day. No, I mean, the fact that it's us is disappointing, but one team was always going to miss out on the, the last match day, and it just happens to be us. You could argue that not playing on the opening game, the opening match day on the 24th of March, is uh, an advantage to us because the players will be coming into that second match day fresh, whereas every other team would have, would have played one game and won't be at 100% going into their second game. So you got to take the rough with the smooth, and there's a lot of rough in this group. Yeah. No, certainly has been, Joe, but the squad will be fully focused here. I think even under Gibraltar and the Greek games, they've seen from, let's say, the games that they've played, particularly against Armenia, um, it has been, dare I say, kind of a, a bit of a reality check, particularly at the end of the Nations League, that, you know, we can't take these things for granted, that we have to be on it from minute one to minute 95, 96. So you sincerely hope that the coaching staff, you know, that they've reviewed things, that they're going to address things, and same with the players as well. We just cannot be committing the same errors. If that is the case, then you have to look at the coaching staff to see what's happening here. So, And I think the FAI chief exec, the board, will be kind of maybe looking at that as well if we're kind of seeing the same kind of trends. Again, they're going to stay patient, Stephen Kenny, here, and particularly the backroom staff. But I think we need to kind of see that progression here from Republic of Ireland. Even if we don't qualify from the group, I think we need to see progression here. Definitely in terms of our performances, in terms of our defensive shape, in terms of our concentration, I think they have to be vastly improved in this. It has to be. Because it's such a <laughs> such a horrendous group, really, Joe, really, when you see it on paper. But look, I'm an internal optimist. I'm hoping, anyway, that 27th of March game against France that we do turn up. France have a bit of an iffy night and... Uh, we get some points on the board early. So, look, after that, you just never know what will happen. 
consistency is what we're really looking for between performances from the national side. You know, we've mentioned it, I don't know how many times at this stage on the podcast, that I'm not sure if you can pick two consecutive games during Stephen Kenny's reign where we, we played equally well in both games. So there's been some good performances, there have been some great performances and some good results, but it's too often it hasn't been followed up on, it hasn't been built on. And, you know, we're, we're often left asking ourselves after a result like Azerbaijan or Luxembourg, how do we play so well in the previous game? you know, against Serbia, against Portugal. Um, but we weren't able to re- replicate that only a few days later against inferior opposition. It's like you said, Stephen, this is very much Stephen Kenny's team now. He's brought through the players from the under-21s that he thinks can handle senior international football. He's given them caps. He's given them, you know, experience. He's you know, educated them in the brand of football that he wants them to play. And... It's time for him to, to put up or shut up, basically. The patience of the Ireland fans is not infinite. You know, eventually something will give. Like I said, I did hear some boos in the last game uh, against Armenia. Didn't last very long, but it was there. You know, like I said, the last podcast throughout Stephen Kenny's reign, you've never felt that you could say he'll definitely still be in charge in 12 months' time. I think he will be given to the end of the Euros. I said that before the draw, and I stand by it now. But, you know, the question that we raised in that episode of performance versus result, we might find out the answer to that, which is more important, because good performances but bad results, you know, especially considering the opposition, might save his job. It's going to be a tough 12 months for fans of the Ireland men's senior team. Yeah, and just considering the senior women's team, you know, they have a sponsorship deal. Things are going pretty good for them. They're awaiting a World Cup draw. You know, you're seeing the tenacity of a manager in Vera Powell, the adversity that she's has to personally go through, that leadership. Again, from Stephen Kenny, we want to see a little bit... I would like to see the backroom staff support Stephen Kenny a little bit more than actually is being offered right now. I feel he's been left out to dry, hang out to dry at times but this is the qualification campaign where as you say he's going to be either sinking or swimming here if we finish fourth in this group Joe I don't think there's any way for him to explain away the results and the performances you're judged I think he's judged now in this qualification campaign and I don't think any manager was probably going to take on this job given this group Joe if I'm being brutally honest so I think maybe midway through or something if the qualification campaign is completely done there might be kind of a, a manager coming out of the, the woodwork to say, yeah, I'd fancy a crack at it to rebuild. But I think for Stephen Kenny, he unfortunately probably has realistically... Yeah, if you think about it, the Norway game, the home game, November 17th, they travel to uh, Malta on the 20th. Now, these are results here in performances. Look, a certain Haaland might be playing for Norway. That'll be a good test. Malta, we should be expecting to win that one. I think he realistically has maybe five games here to really kind of consolidate here. Otherwise, I think come September 7th, there may be a change in managerial helm, unfortunately. I think the first three games of the qualification campaign are going to be make or break for him. As always, we live in interesting times in uh, Irish international football. I'd like to thank Mark again for joining me in this episode to discuss the women's team qualifying for the World Cup in Australia and New Zealand next year. I uh, want to congratulate for your pal, the players, the backroom staff, everyone associated with the women's team it's an amazing achievement uh, one last time 
uh, and also going through the men's qualifying group for Euro 2024 in Germany. You know, even calling it the group of death is probably being generous. In our next episode, we'll review the draw for the Women's World Cup uh, and also look ahead to the two friendlies for the men's team against Norway and Malta. Good stuff, Joe. Hope to talk to you then. Take care.